Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And the studio, well, it's dark. The light in the studio has stopped working, so I'm sitting in the dark in the Theology Central studio here to try to do a broadcast, which tells me you probably shouldn't do it. You, you, you This is a bad idea. You're trying to broadcast in the dark, but maybe I can use the setting to create an atmosphere that works perfectly for the topic that I have chosen for us tonight. What do you think? What do you think? You want to listen to a, a podcast coming to you live from a darkened studio? I, I don't know. Does that does that add a little sense of, ooh, I want to hear this? Can how can he uh perf- how can he record or do a live broadcast in the dark? Now I do have the light from my MacBook Pro. I do have my light from my iPad. So there is some light and there is a light at the bottom of the stairs, but the the actual main light here is it's it's completely out. So it's a darkened studio. And we're going to go live or we are currently live. We're going to do a live broadcast where hopefully hopefully we can talk about something that's very important, far more important than having lights that work. This is a far more important subject because I think it's very relevant to the world in which we live in 2023. And I don't want you to be impacted by it. I don't want you to be, and I'm going to use this word, infected with it. There is a virus. There is a disease that is infecting Many people within the world of Christianity, and we've got to try to prevent this infection from spreading, but it's nothing new, right? We're going to give you some historical examples of this disease, of this infection, and hopefully try to help you prevent from being infected by it. So let's do a proper introduction. Are you ready? Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, June the 26th, 2023. It is currently 11.09 p.m. I almost said a.m. 11.09 p.m. Central Time. And I'm coming to you live from the Dark Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Let's begin with a definition. The, the word I want to give you the definition for is the word hysteria. Hysteria. Hysteria is defined as exaggerated or uncontrollable emotion or excitement. Now, sometimes we refer to hysteria over, you know, a group of teenagers going crazy over their favorite musical artists. You know, people are, the hysteria is crazy over this concert, over this this band, over this singer. All the people going to see Taylor Swift this summer, the hysteria is out of control. Sometimes we use it that way. But sometimes it can be used in a very negative way, that there is a hysteria, a fear, a panic 
that has swept through a large portion of the population. There's a hysteria running wild in the minds of Well, this is even more concerning. Many professing believers, and it leads them not to see reality. They see they they are controlled by paranoia, fear, half-truths, misinformation. Because all you have to do is present people something that creates that fear, creates that negative hysteria. You can have hysteria for something like, you know, a concert, but when the hysteria is over a perceived threat, a perceived danger, well, then it becomes controlling and people can do some absolutely horrific, horrific things. And history has shown us that over and over and over again. I'll just throw out one example. Next Monday, I'll be on an airplane and I'll be flying to Boston. As I'm in Boston, I will be traveling to Salem two different times. Salem, Massachusetts, two different times. Salem is the place for the Salem witch trials. I've been there before. I'm going to go there two different times this time because I love the history there. But Salem is a good example of Just mass hysteria, people losing their minds, fear, panic. Oh, no, we're in trouble. And it led to people dying. In fact, I'll be visiting the graves of those who died in the Salem witch trials. It's it's a good example of that. But let's do this. Let's go back to what is often known as the Great Satanic Panic of the 1980s and the early 1990s. The Great Satanic Panic. It's been brought back to kind of mainstream attention uh, because of an episode of Stranger Things on Netflix. I didn't see the episode, but I heard some people talking about it, and it brought the whole, you know, the satanic panic of the 80s and the early 90s back to mainstream attention. And I don't know if if anyone saw some of the parallels of the satanic panic, or if they, I don't know exactly how it was, you know, viewed or or how they portrayed it in the uh, the episode of Stranger Things. But if if you lived through the great satanic panic of the 1980s and the 1990s, then you can see some direct parallels. Parallels to the culture today. I, I, I've I've lived through some different time waves of panic. We've had the satanic panic, and there's been some others that come after it. And we, I think we're living through it right now. I really do. I think in some ways the satanic panic has come back. It's just it just may have a different name, but the same concepts are at work. Now, for those who do not know, the satanic panic is the name given to a moral scare in the 1980s that devil worshipers were hiding in plain sight throughout American society, secretly indoctrinating children into the occult and ritually abusing them. Now, this was absolutely crazy. People went to prison. People went to jail over this. Crazy things occurred. And Christianity was very much right there in the middle of it. Now, the book that sometimes is seen as the book that started the Great Satanic Panic is the book Michelle Remembers. 
Michelle Remembers. It was published in 1980. Michelle Remembers, published in 1980. Now, in 1980, I had no knowledge of the book. I had no knowledge of that book in 1981, 1982, 1983. In fact, I never had any knowledge of the book. I don't even think I ever heard anything about the book. But Michelle Remembers, and it was written by Michelle Smith and Lawrence uh, Pazder, I think is how you say the last name, P-A-Z-D-E-R. The book, Michelle Remembers, again, published in 1980, This is the book that is often credited with starting the panic, as it was the first modern book that linked satanic rituals to the abuse of children. It is also the book that coined the phrase ritual abuse. Now, I... I didn't know the book existed, but I, and I always try to tell people this ignorance of something does not negate its influence upon you. I I always try to tell my church this when it comes to church history, just because you don't know church history, just because you don't know the names of individuals and the dates of councils or, or, you know, the names of the creeds or the confessions, your ignorance of it does not negate its influence upon you. You just don't know what you're being influenced by. Well, I, in, in 1980, obviously wasn't paying any attention to any of this stuff. And then I become a Christian you know, mid, to, mo- mid to moving towards late 1980s is when I become a Christian as a teenager. Now, even before I became a teenager, even, uh, even before I became a teenager, even before I became a Christian, the satanic panic was already starting to have its influence on my school and on people around me, and I was starting hearing lots of things about it. In fact, what's kind of fascinating is how I ended up at church the night I became a Christian is really accredited to the satanic panic. Look, let me explain what happened. There was a person in our school who claimed to be a Satanist, or his parents were a Satanist, or his his father was a high priest, supposedly, in Satanism. I don't know what was true. I don't know what was all just, you know, fraudulent. But he was he was standing, I don't even remember where we were in school, but he was standing with a, there was a bunch of teenage girls. He's kind of in the middle of them. These are Christian girls, you know, who are like, you know, we're going to sit, you know, we're going to try to get him to believe in Jesus. And he's just throwing all of this stuff out about Satanism, just throwing all of this stuff out about Satanism. And I was like, that's, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not, that's not classic Satanism, like Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. Now, I was already known in the school as someone carrying the Satanic Bible around all the time. And the reason I carried the Satanic Bible around all the time is because it was absolute, one, because the Satanic panic was already very much in our school and in society. I knew if I carried a Satanic Bible around, it scared people to death. It intimidated people. People would leave me alone. Like I could get the isolation I desired. I didn't want to be, I didn't want, I didn't, I just wanted everyone to leave me alone. And if I had a Satanic Bible with me, nobody got near me. No one talked to me. Everyone left me alone. I could live in peace listening to music and did not have to speak to anyone, sit next to anyone. Every, I mean, literally. And so... I, I, I love the, the idea that the Satanic Bible scared everyone to death because there was this, you know, Satanists are everywhere. So I was like, I'm going to play, I'm going to play up, you know, with this. I'm going to, I'm going to use this to my advantage, right? And then I engaged in all kinds of crazy behaviors because you would hear all of these stories about Satanism and the occult and all of this stuff because it was just like everyone was, everyone was scared to death about all of this. 
But I'm, I'm standing there. And so I'm correcting him going, that's not true. That's not true. That you're exaggerating. That's not true. That's not what Anton LaVey, Anton LaVey said in the Satanic Bible, not in this chapter, not in this chapter. That's a misrepresentation, trying to correct a little bit of it. All right. To the best of my ability. So he finally gives up and walks away. And the girls come to me and are like, thank you so very much. You know, that, that was awesome that you helped us out. And I'm like, whatever. I don't care about your whatever. And they're like, you should come to our revival services tonight. And I'm like, no, leave me alone. No, you really should come. There's going to be food. It's going to be fun. And I don't remember all the things they said, but I said, forget it. I went home. And then typically in my home, there was, you know, yelling, screaming, violence, all the bad things that happen. And so I get in my car and I end up at the First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas, walk into the revival service. And then, boom, I'm not going to go through everything that happened. But, you know, God saves me and I become a Christian. And so I become a Christian really very much right in kind of the middle of the great satanic panic that was going on. I didn't know what you called it at this time. I didn't understand, but I just knew that, okay, so now I'm a Christian and now the great satanic panic, I start hearing more about it because now I start listening to Christian radio, right? And I start hearing these different things about, you know, now everyone's worried about backward masking, that if you play the album backwards, you're going to hear messages from Satan, that even if you're playing it forward, your subconscious mind is going to hear messages from Satan, because if you play the album backwards, you'll hear the real message. So people are destroying their turntables by trying to play records backwards and, you know, everything from uh, Stairway to Heaven, uh, you know, uh, Queen, Another One Bites the Dust, which is supposed to say uh, Smoke Marijuana, all of the different, I don't remember all the different songs, but it was crazy. Even secular radio was trying to play them backwards to let people hear, you know, what they supposedly said. And then there were all these conferences going around at all the local churches. And I'd already been going to some of these conferences about music. Music because I just thought it was the Christians were out of their minds. But, I, you know, I, everything was like, you know, Satan is everywhere. It's in the music. It's in the movies. It's there. They're, they're basically gangs of Satanists roaming about everywhere and they will get you. So in the middle of the night, you got to be careful because Satanists will get you and they will try to kill you and they will they will abuse you. And you heard all of these stories. And not soon, it was being talked about on Christian radio, it was being talking a little bit about on secular radio. And then even within local governments, within small Texas towns, there were at least one, maybe two Halloweens where local towns in West Texas at that time passed curfews on Halloween saying, hey, we, you, the kids need to, can't go out because there's Satanists out there who's going to kidnap them and ritually, sexually abuse them. And you're like, what is going on? Now, again, I'd never heard yet of the book Michelle Remembers. I'd never even heard of that book at this time. But I knew that there was like, you know, we're in trouble there. We're in a war against Satan. You know, something's got to be done. And this music, and I can't listen to this music, and I can't do this, and I can't go here because... And I mean, there were times... And so I want to try to be as accurate as I can. There were times I was very aware of the satanic panic. And then just like any good teenager, there were times I you know, already forgot about it and moved on with my life. So there was times I would hear it and see it. And then times I would kind of ignore it. But somewhere around that time, I don't know if I have the chronology completely correct. I don't remember when the book was published. But a book called The Satan Seller by Mike Warnke started making its way through Christianity. Let me find out when it was uh, written. 
Let me find out when it was written because this is very, very important and to the whole satanic panic and how it impacted Christianity. Uh, the Satan, Satan Seller by Mike Warnke. Yes, The Satan Seller by Mike Warnke. You can find a copy of the book on uh, all kinds of used bookstores called The Satan Seller by Mike Warnke. Now, uh, and the seller is S-E-L-L-E-R, The Satan Seller. Now, I started hearing about the book. He was on Focus uh, Focus for the Family with Dr. James Dobson. And he was supposedly, he was a, supposedly a former like high priest in the Church of Satan. And he had all of these experiences. And so... W- your knowledge about Satanism started coming from Mike Warnke. Now, at the time, there was some weird disconnect in my mind because, like, on one hand, I had read the Satanic Bible and knew it. But now that I became a Christian, I'm like, well, you know, this guy was a high priest within the Church of Satan. He obviously knows more than me. I'm just a teenager. So whatever he says about Satanism is legit. Whatever he says about Satanism is real. And so I kind of went with it. And man, I, I mean, I, li- I read, I got the copy of the Satan seller, read it, was like, okay, I'm going to avoid Satanism. I'm going to, I'm going to basically do whatever Christians tell me to do. Right. And I kind of went with that, that mindset. I, I, uh, saw Mike Warnke and, 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 in person multiple times. Um, he was a Christian comedian. I did start noticing some weird things early. Now, I, I don't know how early on, but I, I remember when I saw him in Texas, um, I can't remember the kind of Christian he claimed to be, but when I saw him in Nebraska, I think he almost claimed to be Catholic. It was this weird, like, wait a minute, because I saw him in Texas. I saw him in Nebraska. I saw him in multiple locations. And sometimes his stories were a little different or changed. Now, of course, you didn't have the internet back then. So I was just like, something didn't feel quite, there was, there started becoming like, I don't know. And I don't really know if the book is accurate. And I just started having some, some questions about it. Right. Um, and then there were some investigations that come to find out, you know, every, the whole story was bogus. Everything Mike Warnke was selling was not, he, he wasn't, he was selling Satan simply as a thing to, to, how, how, there's no other way to get it. There's no way, there's no other way to say this, to benefit from the panic, to benefit from the hysteria that was sweeping the land. And Christians, Christians were at the forefront, at least in my mind, from what I saw, it was the Christians leading it. Everything, everything, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was satanic. Everything was satanic. Every album was satanic. All music was satanic. Movies were satanic. Breathing was satanic. Satanists were out to get you everywhere. It was, it was just absolutely an insane time to be alive. And we won't even go to how it, like I, at the time, I didn't know how to process it, right? Because I didn't really realize at the time as a teenager that this was some new cultural phenomenon that in many cases was being promoted and driven by those within Christianity. But, and I didn't realize the, I didn't, I didn't know the hysteria wasn't like, I thought this was just the way Christians were. I didn't have any, I didn't have a way to connect it to anything in the past. I'm like, this is just how Christians are. They're scared to death. They're filled of, with worry and fear and anxiety that Satan is out to get us because we're in a real war. And so I have to be concerned. 
Now, sometimes I was, sometimes I wasn't because once again, I was a teenager. I know I had to burn a lot of, I burned who knows how many albums and CDs that I had to throw away because, you know, you had to burn all of your stuff. And it, it was just, it was trying to, like, I'm trying to figure out theology about salvation and baptism. At the same time, I'm, I'm being told basically Satan is everywhere and there's Satanists out to kill me. It was a weird time to try to process your Christian faith. But the Satan Seller is the book for me. And that's the book that I think many Christians got their understanding of Satanism from. And it comes out all to be a fraud. But did people, you know, repent and apologize for it? No. People just moved on. Did focus on the family? Maybe they did, but I never remember them coming back going, hey, we we had Mike Warnke on this show and promoted him multiple times and come to find out it was all a hoax. No. After that panic, everyone just moves on to the next thing. But here's a couple of things about it. Um, so the book, Michelle Remembers, is often credited with starting the panic as it was the first modern book that links satanic rituals to the abuse of children. It is also the book that coined the phrase ritual abuse. Michelle Remembers was a bestseller kicking off a number of similar stories and allegations of satanic ritual abuse. There have been over 12,000, 12,000 unsubstantiated claims of satanic ritual abuse. And the book was even used by prosecutors in cases against accused Satanists, according to journalist Shirley Dowing. However, of those cases, there is no evidence of any organized abuse by a cult, by cults. Despite a lack of evidence, the lurid nature of many of these accusations captivated the media and became a frequent subject of talk shows throughout the 1980s. Um, and then there were sp- uh, primetime uh, specials called Devil Worship Exposing Satan's Underground, which was released the week before Halloween in 1988. And that may have been, may- maybe that was the year some towns started uh <laughs> started uh, uh, putting curfews and things. The panic also led people to condemn other occult adjacent media properties, including the role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons, and of course, heavy metal music. Now, there's another report here. This is from May 26, 2015. All right. Now, this is from, again, May 26, 2015. The state's highest criminal court, now this is from the Washington Post, May the 26th, 2015, the state's highest criminal court on Wednesday threw out the 1992 sexual assault convictions against Dan and Fran Keller, but declined to find the former Austin daycare owners innocent of crimes linked to a now discredited belief that secret satanic cults were abusing day... Uh, uh, that sat- that secret satanic cults were abusing daycare children nationwide. And that was one of the big parts that, that daycare centers were ba- basically had been controlled now by Satanists and they were abusing children. And this was like, people were scared to death. This, this was going around. This was even like, you know, in the news, people were being pers- prosecuted for it. it. It was crazy. The Keller spent more than 22 years in prison after three young children accused them of dismembering babies, torturing pets, 
desecrating corpses, videotaping orgies, and serving blood-laced Kool-Aid in satanic rituals at their home-based daycare. No evidence of such activities was ever found. Freed from prison in late 2013 as the case against them crumbled, the Kellers asked the court criminal appeals to declare them innocent, arguing that they were the victims of inept therapists, shoddy police work, and satanic panic that swept the nation in the 80s and the early 90s. Now, the article only says only refers to it in the 90s, but trust me, it was going on in the 80s. A unanimous court of criminal appeals insists instead overturned their convictions based on false testimony by an emergency room doctor whose hospital examination had provided the only physical evidence of sexual assault during the trial. Dr. Michael Mao later admitted that inexperience led him to misidentify Normal occurring conditions as evidence of sexual abuse in a three-year-old girl. The nine judges did not provide an explanation for why they rejected the Keller's innocence claim, except to say their decision was based on the findings of the trial judge and this court's independent review of the record. Now, the panic actually began in the 1980s, and it was instigated and perpetuated mostly by groups of fundamentalist Christians— who saw Satan in every heavy metal album, and Smurfs, do you remember the Smurfs? Oh yeah, they were satanic. Dungeons and Dragons, along with a quack cadre of psychotherapists who were convinced they could dig up buried memories through hypnosis. What they did instead was shed some light on just how potent the power of suggestion can, can be. Remarkably, children were convinced to testify about horrifying and entirely fictional violations perpetrated on them by care workers and in some cases by their own parents. But it wasn't just children. As the conviction, as the Keller's conviction shows, the panic was so overwhelming. It could convince trained medical professionals to see abuse where there was none. Some defendants were convicted of gruesome crimes, such as the aforementioned dismembering of babies, despite the fact that there was one, no corpses. Number two, no babies missing from the immediate area. Ultimately, the panic and power of suggestion was pervasive enough to dupe our entire criminal justice system as dozens of innocent people were sent to prison for crimes for which there was no evidence other than the coerced testimony of kids and for which those same defendants would later be exonerated. Absolutely crazy. I don't know how much you've read about the satanic panic. You should read everything you can about it because it's just absolutely crazy how everyone lost their minds. And, and, and I want you to hear me. This, this is the part that bothers me the most. I say it all the time. Those outside the church, it doesn't bother me that they lost their minds, right? They have, what, what do they have to anchor them to truth? What do they have to anchor them to reality, right? But it is Christians who claim, I mean, we're the ones constantly supposedly fighting the culture saying, no, 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 no. There is a thing called absolute truth. And that is Christians, we speak the truth. We look for the truth. We put away lying. 
We do not bear false witness. We do not speak lies. We look for truth. It's Christians who are always the ones who are claiming the culture doesn't have truth, but we have truth. They've abandoned truth. They don't understand truth, but we have it and we speak it and we defend it and we put away lies. God hates lying lips and we, we hype it up so much. But right there in the 1980s and the 1990s, over and over again, it was just mass hysteria with all of these crazy claims about, oh, you can't listen to that album. It's satanic. Oh, you can't do that. It's satanic. You can't do that. Satanic. Satan is. And it's like, and just in many cases, absolute bearing false witness, fraudulent claims, misrepresenting songs, misrepresenting bands, lies, fr- c- craziness. And and anytime you would try to speak to these Christians about it, you were the one who they, they would accuse you. And guess what? All of those Christians who yelled and argued whenever you would try to confront them and help them see that they were falling victim to this paranoia. Do you think they ever came back and apologized for the great satanic panic? Oh, no, 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 no. The Christian leaders who were who were doing all of it. No, they did not. The Christian radio stations constantly playing these crazy people who were supposedly, you know, confronting Satanists and all of the things. Nothing. There was never, uh, there was no, no one was ever held accountable for it within the Christian world. They made their claims. They sold their books. They made their money. They held their conferences and they scared everyone absolute to death. And then everyone just moved on to the next big thing. To the next big thing, because what you need is you need an enemy. You need something that creates panic, because if you can create panic, people will lose all touch to reality and they will they will flock to you. They will. If you can present yourself as the authority to that which is causing the panic. We saw this after the uh, terrorist attacks of 2001. There were certain, I'm not going to name the names now because I don't have the names in front of me. There were certain so-called Christian apologists who had all of these claims about them being basically a part of Islam and they were jihadists and they, and, and then they come find all of their stories start crumbling and they were nothing that what, they were not the big experts on Islam as they appeared to be. They, but guess what? Didn't matter. They made their money. They sold their books. They were at conferences and then they just move on. And, and at some point, everybody kind of like, ah, you yeah, know, Islam is no longer, it, they're not the boogeyman anymore. It's not, it's not, it's not. Now it's this. It's, it's this. And, and then we, and, and then everyone just runs to the next big thing. And Christians fall for it continually. I, I, I I've told the story many times. When we moved back to Texas in 2000 and we're visiting churches, we visit a church on a Sunday night. After the sermon, they say they, they have a petition here to petition the federal government to stop a female atheist who's trying to get Christian broadcasting taken off the airwaves. And as soon as they said it, I'm like, that's not real. First, the female atheists are referring to is dead. She can't be doing anything. And second, this has already been proven to be a lie. And the government has told everyone, stop sending. But here was a church getting everyone to sign a petition because they had been duped. They had been, they had bought into the lies. How many Christians do that nonsense? Oh, and, and I hate to say it. There are certain elements of the media. You just, 
constantly, you got to give something, people something to be outraged about, something to be scared of. You got to create a panic. You got to make, you got to create the hysteria because the hysteria drives the ratings. The hysteria drives the book sales. The hysteria drives the conference attendance. You got it. And it's Christians who fall for it. Now, none of this is new. None of this is new. None of this. It goes way, way back before the night, before the 1990s, before the 1980s, before the 1970s, the 1950s, the 1900s, the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s. It goes even before that. And I'm going to play a clip from a podcast from the BBC. The name of the podcast is The Coming Storm. We've talked about it on this podcast a long time ago. The Coming Storm from BBC. You should find this podcast and subscribe to it. It has a lot to say about what has happened in American culture. And the very first episode of this podcast, The Coming Storm, is called The Dead Body. Now, they're going to talk about something that happened a long time ago, a book that was published that for like 200 years It was one of the best-selling books outside of the Bible around the world. It was a very influential book, and the book created fear and panic that led once again to hysteria, and once again, people suffered. All right? Listen to this. Now, some of this is definitely, they're going to describe it in the best way they can, but it, it's definitely, you know, for mature audiences only. But, but but you need to hear about it because this book had a profound impact on the religious world of that time. It had a profound impact on the religious world. So they're going to try to describe it in the best ways they can. But it is for a mature audience. So if you think you could be offended, don't listen. If you have children, definitely put on headphones or hit pause. Um, but hey. I want you to hear this because it's it's what was happening. It's what was going on. And if you've never read the book they're about to mention, you may want to read it just to see how this book created fear, hysteria, paranoia that impacted the religious world. If you think about it, it was a book written in the culture in the 1980. Michelle remembers, I think I think is the original name of the of the book. I think it was in 1980. We talked about it. Um that began to influence culture. The church was, in a sense, more following culture than culture. Fo- like, in some ways, I feel like the church followed culture, and then the church became the driver of it. So it, it's kind of a weird, like, who who influenced whom there? But, all right, let, let's listen to this. Again, there's going to be some content here that's for mature audiences, but let's listen carefully. Here we go. Hi, I'm Gabriel Gatehouse, and this is The Coming Storm from BBC Radio 4 and World Service. Okay, so, yeah, we'll kick off with this image quickly. So what we've got going on is a witch's Sabbath. It's Halloween night at the height of the pandemic. And I can't even remember why I decided to do this. And the closer you look at this print, the more weird stuff is going on. But for whatever reason, on a whim, I suppose... I signed up for a virtual drawing class over Zoom. We've got a woman riding backwards on a goat. We've got somebody kind of drumming a cauldron. The title of the class was 
Witches, Drawing and Storytelling. And it was led by Louisa Maria McCormack. I'm going to dive in and set a drawing exercise. So Louisa gets us copying out details from this old woodcut. And while I'm scribbling away, she starts telling this story. A particularly nasty character called Heinrich Kramer. About a man called Heinrich Kramer. Who was um, a member of the Dominican order. A 15th century German priest who wrote this twisted book called the Malleus Maleficarum, and that roughly translates as the Hammer of Witches. The Hammer of Witches. The Hammer of Witches is how it roughly translates. The uh, And I believe... Um, hang on. Yeah, uh, Heinrich Kramer in 1486. 1486. Is where this start. This goes back to 1486. All right, and I think the Hammer of Witches. I'm going to do a Google search for the Hammer of Witches because that's the translation. The Hammer of Witches. Yeah, here it is. The Hammer of Witches. Oh, that's an expensive copy. Uh, here's a, a cheaper copy. You can definitely find it if you just type in the Hammer of Witches. You can find it on Amazon. Um, here's a copy. Um, yes. And uh, the Witch Hammer is what it's called. The Witch Hammer. It's a seminal treatise regarding witchcraft and demons presented here complete with an authoritative translation to modern English. All right. This, this book, I cannot stress to you how significant this book was uh, because uh, 1487, I think some say 1486, you should find a copy of this book. Now, if you want to, you can get it for paperback for $8. Hardcover, it's going to cost you 40 bucks. There may be, I don't know if there's, a, I'm assuming there's a Kindle version. If there's a Kindle version, I'll have to look. But um, you probably should read it. Just to show you, one, it, it's got content in it that's, you're going to be like, wait, what is going on? They're going to describe some of it here in a second. You just have to hear it to believe it. But it's so insane. But Christians buy into it. Religious people bought into it. And it led to hysteria and panic. And I will argue, well, we could, we could go. I, I, it's the same thing that happened in the 1980s and the 1990s. It's the same thing that happens over and over and over. There, a villain, a boogeyman is created. Remember when everyone was screaming about critical race theory? Critical race theory was going to be the thing that was going to destroy the church. Critical race theory was the thing we needed to be scared of. Critical race. Remember that? Critical race theory. Critical race theory. And I did. And I kept saying I didn't think critical race theory was the issue. Most people don't even know what critical race theory is. Even if they even if they could see it, they wouldn't even understand it. They, it it's this university academic theory. And, and But anytime you talk about anything related to racism, anything you talk about, anything related to slavery, that's critical race theory. Like you don't even know what it is. But it created a panic, right? And then Christians started writing books about it. And they'd be like, oh, and we've got to talk about critical. And I kept saying, but I mean, now, that, have people not moved on? People, people, now the panics don't seem to last very long, right? I think before they had, they, they lasted longer. Now people move on to something else. But it's the same idea. Give you, this is what you sh should be worried about. This is what you should be afraid of. 
Now, what happens in the minds of many Christians if you create enough panic and enough fear? One, they, they lose touch with reality. They start bearing false witness and just spreading misinformation. But a lot of cases, they start looking for solutions to the problems that are not even biblical, and therefore they almost always end up turning to politics. So if politicians can scare Christians to death, then Christians will basically prostitute themselves to the politician so that the politician can get elected, thinking that they can solve the problem, forgetting, and they begin to abandon, well, biblical Christianity. Uh, that's We talk about this all the time. Let's, re, let's hear a little bit more about this famous uh, book. All right, here we go. At this point, people in Europe believe in witches, sure, but they're kind of seen as a normal fact of life, a minor nuisance. No one bothers with them that much. But then comes Kramer and his book. There's crazy kind of passages where he's saying uh, women become witches by sleeping with the devil and signing a pact on his anus, which is deprived men of his virile member. And he goes on to, you know, very elaborately describe how witches keep nests of penises in trees. It's pretty wild stuff. The book contains detailed and practical instructions on how to capture, torture and kill a witch. The clerical establishment, by and large, thinks Kramer is nuts. When he tries to mount a witch trial, the judges throw it out of court. Because of, and I quote, Heinrich Kramer's obsessive sexual interest in the habits of one of the accused. And that might have been the last anyone would hear of Heinrich Kramer and his deranged screed but for a piece of tech that was about to change the world. Something kind of vast and unimaginable had happened, which was the invention of the printing press. The printing press changed everything. It becomes probably the best-selling book, second only to the Bible, for about 200 years. Kramer's dark fantasy... It becomes the best-selling book outside of the Bible for 200 years. Years. For 200 years. Now remember, ignorance of something does not negate one being influenced by it, does not negate the influence of it. I wonder how much of Christianity moving forward would be influenced by the witch hammer or the hammer of witches by Heinrich Kramer. I wonder, written in 1486, 1487. And remember, at the time, most people just said, this is so crazy, and ignored him. But then the printing press, and then boom, bestseller for 200 years. Let's listen to a little bit more. Fantasy about how every town, every village is riddled with sex-obsessed satanic witches, the unseen enemy within. That narrative goes viral. Which fever, you could almost call it, it spread through Europe following the path of the kind of major trade routes. You can imagine these books being like passed on almost like a disease through arteries and veins and filtering down and down and down until it reached sort of your local parish. For the next two centuries, Europe was gripped by an orgy of misogynistic violence. Hundreds of thousands of people, most of them women, were tortured and burned alive as witch fever spread from the old world to the new, born across the Atlantic on colonists' ships. Hundreds of thousands of women were tortured and killed 
in the name of Jesus, in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity, because Christians were so easily manipulated by fear. Now, if you attend the witch museum in Salem, Massachusetts, which I would challenge everyone to do, um, at the you they they first give you a well depending on, on on I guess when you go in sometimes you go to the presentation first others you kind of you do a kind of a, tour, a guide takes you through part of the museum and show you these different displays depending on which way you go for me the one I went I went to the presentation first where they kind of reenact a little bit of the 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 witch the 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 the, the witches trials of you know the the Salem witch trials of that time so they kind of reenact it you kind of get a feel for it you to me i get a sick feeling for it because these are you know i know the people carrying this stuff out are you know christians people claiming to be christians believers in the same jesus i believe in and, and you know puritanism and you got a lot and you're like what whoa what why how did they get it so wrong so that already makes me sick then after that we go through the kind of the to the different uh, you know, displays they have set up with the tour guide. And then when you get to the very end, you come around the corner and on the wall, it's September the 11th, 2001. And I will never forget going, oh, wow. Something happened. Something that should bother us. There is some element of truth. And then it turned into widespread complete hysteria. Every Muslim was out to kill us. Islam was going to destroy us. I I, I will I got even caught up into it to some level. I, I'm, I won't say completely, but I definitely definitely was concerned. Now that doesn't mean there isn't a, an element of truth to some of these things. There doesn't mean there doesn't mean there's never an element of truth. It's just when you take it and then it becomes exaggerated and you lose touch with reality and then you start stop being rational and you start bearing false witness and making accusations against an entire people, an entire race, an entire religion and you start making things up and you're living in fantasy land and you're doing so in the name of Christianity. And then you start looking and calling for things that go way beyond what scriptures would call for the people died when mostly women tortured and killed during the witch trials in europe everyone talks about the salem witch trials they have nothing on what was going on in europe nothing that was going thousands and thousands of people died and christians still don't catch on And it was all sparked by this one crazy story that landed just as the established order was crumbling on the cusp of the modern era. Now, the podcast is going to take that story and then move it from there to QAnon and how QAnon and QAnon has, once again, had great influences upon many professing Christians. And it's got many things very much connected to the satanic panic of the, of the 80s and 90s. You've got a secret cabal of pedophiles being led by Hillary Clinton. And you've got crazy stuff, once again, thrown out. And Christians eat it up. 
They buy into it and they don't care. They don't. And, and if anything is proven to be fraudulent or a hoax, they don't care. They don't apologize. They just move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing. And you've got some Christians who just perpetually live in the world of conspiracy and panic and fear and paranoia. And they never come back and apologize. They never go like, man. I've been chasing one crazy, I've been, and, and, but nope, they're just like, no, now the issue is this. Now the issue is this. Now the issue is this. See, it, it, it's Satan or it's this or it's Islam or it's critical racer. You got to have the boogeyman. And, and what you don't is when people are giving you the boogeyman, not in all cases, but in many cases, the only people are going to benefit from you getting worried about the boogeyman is the people writing the books, holding the conferences. Those are the people who are going to benefit from it. Those, not you. You're just going to be filled with paranoia and fear, watching the news, reading their books. And, and, and then guess what? When it's all said and done, everyone's going to move on. Everyone's going to move on. I remember during the first Gulf War. The first Gulf War. Oh, Saddam, uh, Saddam, uh, Saddam Hussein, he's rebuilding Babylon and th- this is going to usher in the end and Jesus is going to come back and, and the Antichrist is going to be revealed and, and the rapture is going to happen. And I remember, and well, lo and behold, I remember when Obama was alive, he's going to make everyone a Muslim and we're going to be in FEMA camps. FEMA camps, they've ordered hundreds of thousands of body bags and we're all going to be micro. And well, then Obama's, and then, and then it's going to be this. And oh, it's going to be, and it's always uh, the next panic, the next this, the next that, the next this. I remember when, uh, after, uh, Pope Benedict died. Uh, that, that he was supposedly, there was some great prophecy about a Pope and he died. So the next Pope was going to be the Antichrist. I, I, I remember doing podcasts about telling people that's ridiculous. And they were like, you're going to see, wait and see. Everyone's already, nobody even talks about that anymore. I've got books about it that I purchased when everyone was selling that conspiracy theory. Guess what? The books in my closet somewhere, none of it came true. None of it even remotely came true. Do you think those people who emailed me and argued with me, do you think they ever called me back to apologize? No, they're on to the next big thing. Ooh, now this is going to happen. And if Trump doesn't get elected, then we're all going to. And it's always the next thing. Instead of Christians saying, no, I'm going to be calm. And I'm going to be, I think everyone needs, and I'm going to be think, a thankful, I'm going to be a thinking Christian and I'm going to be calm and rational and seek truth and put away lying and not bear false witness. But I think everyone should read The Witch's Hammer, um, Heinrich Kramer from 1487, just to see that that book influenced the world of religion and Christianity for 200 years and it crossed over the ocean to here to the United States of America at some point. And you could argue that a lot of that is what led to the panic in Salem. And remember, before Salem, there was a witch trial in Boston that preceded what happened in Salem. Everyone forgets that as well. I think maybe that's what fascinates me about Salem is how religious people, Christians, who supposedly have the truth, believe the truth, defend the truth, care about truth, can so end up being so manipulated by hysteria that we're, we turn almost crazed and violent 
using our religion as the means to carry out violence. I played a clip from American Family Radio. It's in a, uh, you'd have to go back to the podcast archives to find it. But where a Christian radio program said that because of the LGBTQ movement, the time may become that Christians need to take up arms. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. A Christian radio station is saying that there may come a time that we need to pick up arms because they're because of the LGBTQ movement. Like we're going to what we're going to kill people. It is something to consider and watch how it influences your life. And I wanted to spend a little time here in the darkened studio to talk about that. How do you, do you get caught up in that stuff? Have you found yourself queuing on critical race theory, just getting pulled in deeper and deeper and deeper? And, and it's almost like, oh, that's the boogeyman and we've got to do something. And, and your Christianity really just becomes about fighting the so-called boogeyman instead of learning about Christ and following Christ. It becomes about whatever the new cultural panic is. I find it hilarious that a lot of the music in the 80s that people were like, it's so satanic and evil. Now to be played in a commercial for, you know, a car, who knows what, for anything. And it's like, you know, where are the Christians yelling and screaming? Oh, they played that song. No, Christians already moved on. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody cares anymore. They already moved on. They, they're now, now they're worried about new things and, and the new thing to be scared of and to be worried about. It's just every, it's just, it's a constant looking for the next big thing that we need to be. It, it, I think it gives people a sense of purpose, but when your purpose is the next cultural panic, instead of just glorifying God, serving him, enjoying him, learning about him and trying to just live out your Christian life and figure out your faith. When all these other things become your purpose, I think you hijack Christianity. But you can tell me what you think. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. I'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on any of this and get your perspective. Thanks for listening for this special late night episode of the Theology Central Podcast coming to you from a dark studio because my lamp behind me is gone. So uh, we're going to have to order a new one. So I hate that, but I definitely need the lamp uh, whenever I'm reading anything other than what's on my iPad. So um, yeah. So hopefully we can get that replaced soon. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But hopefully we can. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. And uh, yeah. Think about how you're being influenced by things that may not even be true factual versus being influenced by the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, being influenced by the word of God, which is truth. Let's get influenced by that and maintain some level of rationality and put away lying and speak the truth. Thanks for listening. God bless.